0: Hi guys, welcome back to The Art of Travel. This is our final episode for the season, and I'm so excited to present today's guest, a man whose work I've admired for such a long time and really needs no introduction, named Ian Schrager. In case you didn't already know, Ian Schrager is the co-founder of Studio 54, the iconic New York City nightclub where icons from Andy Warhol to Freddie Mercury and Michael Jackson would go to for a night of escapism and excess. Studio 54 was a legendary party, and it defined an era of disco which continues to captivate audiences around the world. Ian is a serial entrepreneur and innovator whose career has spanned over five decades. Since the closure of Studio, Ian has launched several hospitality concepts that has sought to revolutionize the industry. He's pioneered the boutique hotel concept with Morgan's Hotel Group, which eventually paved the path of the Lifestyle Hotel brand with Addition and Public. Ian set the standard in how culture plays a large role in shaping hospitality, an idea he continues to explore in creating memorable and transportive spaces. In this conversation, Ian shares how diversity played an important role in building the environment at Studio, and why democratizing luxury is necessary. Finally, he shares the principles he's guided by in life and work. I really hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Here's Ian on the line. Ian, um, where in the world are you right now? I'm in uh, at the beach um, in Southampton. Oh, that's so lovely. How has the reopenings of all of the hotels been, like, this past few weeks?
1: Well, it's great to get started again and get back to some normalcy uh, in, in my life. Uh, you know, the past year has been uh, difficult in some regards, but... Uh, In some ways, it's been a found year, not a a lost year, because I had the opportunity to rethink things and recalibrate and change things about the way I was doing things and make myself a very clear road ahead. Uh, So I took advantage of the downtime. Uh, The hotels have been uh, opening up, you know, a little bit uh, rusty. Business has come back very strong. We're dealing with an issue that it's difficult to get people to come to work. And that probably won't change until all the government benefits that people are receiving need to stop.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. I've heard that there's been a huge gap in the labor force right now where specifically the hospitality industry is hard hit, where it's really hard to get some of those workers back.
1: They're going to have to go back to work. They're going to have to be able to make a living in order to put food on the table. You know, there's a lot of benefits and And uh, we have to say goodbye to the life we've led for the past year, to say hello to the new life. People are not 100% comfortable with uh, all the pandemic issues still out there. The the government has been very confusing as to what the rules and regulations are. But I think it will uh, settle down and we'll go back to normal. Uh, Not a new normal, uh, the same normal we've always been accustomed to.
0: And so I really want to know what are what have been some of your big reflections this past year. Well, I realized uh, that uh, I always,
1: you know, I really love what I do. Uh I'm lucky like that. Uh you know, I I don't do it for money. I do it uh probably to exist. I just uh, really love it and have always loved it. Uh love my family. I've gotten closer with my children. I've kind of uh, rid myself of all the distractions. Uh, that people usually get engaged in when they're on that normal treadmill, that rat race of life. I'm happy now than I've ever been. I feel I wanna keep doing what I have been doing and that uh, uh, to avoid any kind of distractions. And I'm kind of lucky. I'm probably the richest man in the world because everything I have, I love. I don't care what anybody else has. Just happy with what I have.
0: Have you infused any of those new philosophies into your business for these reopenings and all the other projects you have on the horizon?
1: I I think treating people with humanity Mm -hmm. and treating people uh, very nicely is just critically important. Uh, You know, if you want to have a a successful business and you want to get lots of customers to come to your business, well, you have to treat them right. I tell everyone working at the hotel now, I'm not the boss. The customers are the boss. And I think that realization kind of informed everything I do now. You know, customer concentric. We have to do what the customers want. That's the strength of our business Uh, rather than, uh, you know, all these other analytical things we businessmen come up with. They're kind of irrelevant, you know, just kind of very basic stuff. Uh, You know, treat your customers right, make it easy for them to come to your product, make it easy for them to purchase your product, and you'll get plenty of customers. The kind of very self-evident fundamental things that you realize when you have the time to get off the treadmill and reflect what's important in life.
0: And you know, I really feel that change is evident because when I stayed at Public just even four four weeks ago for your reopening, the staff there... It really felt like they were working with so much intention. And also one thing I really noticed is people are incredibly proud to work at your hotels. They feel like they're part of a bigger mission and they're really part of a bigger change within the hospitality industry.
1: That is so great you say that. I can't wait to tell them because, uh, you know, you know what it is. When I got started uh, in the hotel business, uh, what was very important to me was innovation. And style and exciting food and beverage concepts. And that was the beginning of the uh, Lifestyle Hotel.
0: I actually wanted to go back a little bit. And, you know, obviously you have a story that needs no introduction, but I would always love to hear it in your terms. Let's go back a little bit and tell me a little bit about where you're from and how you got started in this on your path.
1: I was born in the Bronx, raised in Brooklyn, grew up in Manhattan. So I went to, uh, uh, I went to uh, college uh, uh, in Syracuse and then I went to law school and I became practicing a practicing lawyer for about three years. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, you know, uh, so I just went to law school to try and help me figure it out. Uh, and then I practiced for three years, but I didn't really love that. And uh, really what happened was, is that uh, some big shots, uh, son got a job, uh, in the law firm, and they gave him my office, so I quit. I went out on my own, and I started representing clients for a couple of years. Uh, one of those clients was Steve Rubell. Uh, he was in the state business uh, restaurants, uh, and he was undercapitalized, uh, and uh, I was trying to keep the creditors office back. you know from there, uh, this was the time uh, when all the baby boomers, you know were the most dominant group of people in the country uh, and they all moved into New York or a lot of them and there was a lot of socializing so it was the emergence of uh, lots and lots of nightclubs and so I'd be driving around at night and I would be seeing lines of people waiting to get into nightclubs taking all of the abuse that they had to go through in order to get in there Uh, and I thought that's a business that I want to go in because it it didn't require a lot of capital. It didn't require training. It didn't require anything, just the nerve uh, to try something new, try and execute it better than everybody else. So uh, we did our first nightclub in Boston. We had teamed up a partnership with Steve and I and two people that had run a very successful gay nightclub. At that time, uh in, in New York, the gays were setting the social zeitgeist. N- not the the uh, black people the way they do it today. Uh but it was black people before them, but at that time it was gay people. Was the creative Class uh, in New York City, they were doing all the creative things, uh, they dominated a lot of industries, fashion and all.
0: This is because New York was a safe haven for the LGBTQ community, right? I you know, now watching all of these movies based in '70s in New York, where of course, Studio 54 is always a backdrop to some of these scenes. It seemed like everyone who was sort of creative or felt like they were different fled to New York because it was the one place they knew they could be free.
1: Absolutely right. You know, it wasn't only, it was almost like the country tipped over and everybody rolled into New York. And then Europe, which was having political difficulties at the time, everybody from Europe rolled into New York. So in in the 70s, that was New York's time. Like the way the 60s was in London uh, and the way the the 50s were in Rome. Uh, So that was just New York's time. It was very bohemian. It wasn't dominated by rich hedge fund people. nobody had anything to lose. Anybody was willing to try anything. It was just a whole new class of creatives that were emerging in New York. It was just a very exciting time.
0: How old were you when you started Studio 54? Twenty-eight. Wow. How did that venue come about? Like how did you come up with the name and was it always a good party from the get-go? Like or did it sort of have some sort of build up leading to the legend that it is now?
1: You know, I've had, I've been fortunate enough in life to have a lot of successes. Some of them are easy and natural and some of them we have to work at. Studio was a natural because it was so new and innovative. Nobody had ever seen anything like that before. And, and when you do something that nobody had ever seen before, that's when you really have the opportunity of doing something very special uh, because people, you know, gravitate to what they think is happening and what they think is new. And everybody wants to try and get a slice of life out and do what's the new thing that is happening. Most of the entertainment world and the television world and record world had started their move to the West Coast. So there were a lot of abandoned uh, television studios uh, in Manhattan. Uh, And this one uh, was um, called Studio 52. Uh, Because it was on 54th Street, (laughs) we decided to change it to Studio 54. Because it was a theater, we worked with a lot of people that were from the theater. Uh, At that time, the nightclub industry was just beginning. uh, And it was dominated by a few people, sound people, lighting people, and competitors of ours who were afraid told those people not to work for us. So we had to go and pull a rabbit out of a hat And what we did do is we went to a a theatrical lighting designer from Broadway who had won a lot of Tony Awards and Oscars uh, at doing films. And the idea of treating it like a theater with sets flying in and out and changing the environment and making the dance floor like the stage and making all the customers like they're the stars of the show. It just came about in, in a very natural way. It really transported people. It gave them that absolute freedom that you don't really experience very many places in life.
0: That's really fascinating. So you literally created a venue that set a stage, and that makes so much sense why all the creatives you know, were so drawn to it because I'm sure with all of the cinematic effects, you really are transported from the busy streets of New York into this wonderland. And um, one thing that is so fascinating about Studio 54 is that it really tapped into into the creative nerve and energy of the city. At the time, did it feel like you were really honing into this cultural zeitgeist?
1: No, we realized that. We realized that the secret to the energy in a room is always based upon diversity. There's nothing more boring than being in a room with the same people as you. Uh, you know, only rich people. You know, what's interesting is you're with someone that you don't ordinarily come into contact with. And that creates an electricity in the air. So I'd be seeing a woman in a ball gown and a tiara uh, dancing with a gay guy in tight jeans and no shirt on. Fine, he loves it. Uh, and And that created this combustible energy. And that's still my philosophy going forward. It, the secret is diversity. That's why when a great city like New York becomes too homogenous with a lot of rich head fund people all over the place, it's, it's not good for the city. The diversity and the energy that comes from that is essential.
0: I love that so much. And I wanted to segue into your hotel business. How did you get into the hotel business?
1: Well, you know, it's, uh, it, it is a logical progression. Uh, The funny thing about it is, you know, life is uh, very fortuitous and you have to respond to the opportunities that come your way. Uh, And so we had sold Studio 54 to somebody and took back a lot of promissory notes. And when the person couldn't pay, we traded those promissory notes and forgave them to him in return for his interest in a hotel. That's the way uh, we got started. Uh, and uh, we went into that hotel trying to do something that was very personal to us and something for our generation not the kind of hotel that my parents liked not that I I rejected that and I love my parents but I wanted something that manifested my popular culture I wanted something that you know uh, gave a sense of time and place for something new and different and wasn't one of these uh Uh, Ugly hotel rooms with indestructible (laughs) bedspreads, ugly patterned carpets high stains.
0: Yeah, things that sort of represent the old world, too. Exactly.
1: That's what they did. They represented the old world. And this was a new time, and it was time for a new kind of hotel. Uh, That was Morgan's. And that, too, was a natural boom. As soon as we opened up the doors... It was a, just a natural success that took right off.
0: And so you're credited as being the father of the boutique hotel industry. Can you tell me a little bit about what it means to be a boutique hotel or, or a lifestyle hotel? Kind of very simple.
1: Boutique hotel was the word Steve used to use when he was trying to describe to people what we were trying to do. You know, really, what it is is that you have department stores that are all things to all people and try and satisfy all people and therefore have no specific point of view. They have nothing to say. They try and satisfy everybody uh, and don't have a point of view. Uh, and so we thought like a boutique, which have nothing to do with size. It has to do with having a certain attitude, a certain point of view, something specific to say, like a boutique retail shop. I consider Apple a boutique, you know, because they have a very specific focused point of view, a certain attitude a cult of people that follow it. Uh, and so uh, that's where the word boutique came from. Steve invented it. And we've lost lost use of it because it's been adopted by, you know, the world. (laughs) But um, that was the idea of a boutique hotel. Nothing to do with something small. It was just about having a very specific attitude and something to say.
0: And so you also worked on the reopening of the Delano Hotel in Miami, And you work with Philip Stark on the design. I feel like architecture is a very prominent feature in every project that you work on. Can you tell me a little bit about your creative process behind relaunching the Delano?
1: You know, the funny thing about it is is that, uh, you know, uh, the visuals of a hotel, uh, like the special effects in a movie, they could make a good movie great, uh, but they can't make a bad movie good. So, you know, really... The strength of a, of a hotel is really in the basic fundamental idea you have for it, the concept, what's it supposed to be? What's it supposed to mean to people? You know, How does it touch them in some visceral emotional way? Why is this hotel kind of different? And the visuals, the design and the architecture are one element of that. But everything in that hotel, from the pencil uh, to the sheet, everything goes into that kind of uh, effort to communicate a very special uh, point of view. Uh, And uh, I had gone to Miami with my parents uh, when uh, people, those upwardly mobile people at that time, used to wear their dolls in the lobby uh, with the air conditioning on. Everyone was freezing when it was uh, 90 degrees outside. Uh, And so that's the way it was, Uh, and so we thought we wanted to do the next generation of resort hotel, urban resort, that was really situated in close proximity to millions and millions and millions of people, was easy to get to, there were lots of flights, Uh, it was on the ocean, it was kind of overlooked. Uh, And when the Caribbean opened up, everybody started flying over Miami to the Caribbean and all. So we just thought uh, it was a great place. It had all the fundamental things that were right about it. And it was the perfect place to do a a kind of urban resort. Urban resort meaning you can flake out at the beach or at the pool with zero molecular movement (laughs) and sunburn. But at night, there's plenty of stuff to do. Plenty of action.
0: And lots of energy. Right,
1: exactly. And that's what's appealing about a vacation. You know, uh, uh, even in the Caribbean, uh, there's one island like that, St. Bart's, uh, where, uh, you know, you can go to the beach and every day and barefoot cheek and eat lunch and, and do nothing. But then at night, there's a lot of places to go and a lot of things to do. So that idea of this kind of modern vacation... It was what we tried to encapsulate uh, with um, the Delano.
0: And I wanted to chat about your project with Marriott, which is the Addition Hotels. How did that project come about, and how did you get involved with Marriott Hotels?
1: You know, I would uh, put absolutely everything into a project that I was doing. Mm -hmm. There was not a detail uh, that was unimportant. Because I never know what detail is the detail that puts something, you know, over the top. So therefore, every detail is a matter of life and death to me. And I think every creative person behaves like that too. You're doing what you yourself like, and you're hoping and surprised when there's a lot of other people out there that also like it. And so uh, I um, just went forward, uh, and uh, uh, you know, I had worked on a hotel for two or three years, uh, put. My life into it uh and uh then everyone would come in and treat it like a candy store and take all the ideas out and use them uh, all over the country you know i'm not I'm not one of those people that think uh copying is flattering, you know to me they're like my kids uh and uh, wait a minute, that's my idea. you can't use that, so I thought. Uh, You know, I've done about uh, uh, 20 hotels on my own. Uh, Mm -hmm. I thought it might be fun to do something, you know, in a very, very large scale uh, with a company like Marriott, provided that we can make uh, uh, an agreement uh, where I can do what I do uh, uh, and they can do what they do and and we create something that is not now in existence, which is uh, uh, a chain of hotels and feel like a chain because each one is bespoke and each one is individualized, uh, and uh, and so I was the one that sought out Marriott. Let's do something big, and so that's the way that because I'd never done that before.
0: Yeah, and that's fascinating with this partnership with the addition. There's a lot of words being thrown around that it's a lifestyle hotel. Is this diff? Is this an evolution from the boutique hotel? And how did you guys go about creating a new portfolio of hotels for? For the addition customer,
1: yes, it is. It's the lifestyle hotel evolved again because when I first got started, you know, when I used to go into a restaurant and I would do a restaurant, you know, I was really more interested in creating a restaurant that was a scene.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so when I wanted to hire uh, handsome bartenders and and, and 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 pretty girls, and uh, even though maybe the bartenders didn't know how to make drinks, and, and the pretty girls didn't know how to serve food. But it was still part of the scene because I was going to market with something innovative, not something based on great service, not something ba- based upon great execution, something innovative, something that hadn't been done before. So now we jump forward all these years and we realize uh, that's not going to cut it. Uh, There are other choices out in the market right now. Some are good, some are not so good. Uh, And so really what we have to do is we have to take that innovation, take that uh, exciting food and beverage concept, and we have to add a layer of luxury onto it uh, that makes people feel good, uh, that makes people feel that they're being looked after while they're in New York. So the hotels become a little bit less about how it looks uh, than about how it makes that person feel. So it's it's a lifestyle hotel, but with a luxury service infusion, and that's the difference. So while every other lifestyle hotel that is really based upon the foundation Steve and I did uh, is worried about the uh, visuals and the food and beverage and all, yes, that's still very important, And we still think we do that better than anybody else, but we're adding in a layer of great service so that you don't have to sacrifice anything to stay in the coolest place in town.
0: You know, I think what's really fascinating is that you pivoted from one of the most culturally, if not the most culturally important, you know, nightlife institution to hotels. Are there any lessons that you learned from nightlife that you carry into the hospitality industry?
1: Very, very much so. Two things you're going to be surprised about this. A lot of people accuse me of wanting to put hotel rooms on top of a lobby that's like a nightclub. Couldn't be further from the truth. That is not my intention. You know, uh, but what I did learn from the nightclub business, which was, first of all, I got exposed to a lot of uh, of uh, creative people in different walks of life. So it was undisciplined. So I got to work with people in fashion, design, architecture, lighting, music, theater, TV, movies, books, music, everything. Cut across all these creative disciplines. But because a nightclub doesn't really have uh, a discernible product different from everybody else, you know, we have the same music, the same liquor Uh, uh, so it's really the magic that you create it's how you put it all together and deliver it to the customer so in the nightclub we didn't have any discernible product it was all about the magic that we were able to create in the hotel business had a product had a bed people needed to buy the bed uh, so so it gave me a leg up. I wasn't just relying on the amount of business coming into that city. I wasn't just relying on the fact that maybe people needed to stay somewhere while they were visiting. I was still relying on the magic, the creation of magic. And that's what distinguished our hotels from everybody else. So to that extent, I learned out of studio. Yeah. I learned that in the nightclub business, uh, which was uh and and to this day. You know, to this day, uh, if the goal at studio was providing magic to the people and for when the people, when they got in to experience this complete freedom, you could be whatever you want as long as you didn't break a law and hurt anybody. You know, you can be sitting next to a a major celebrity and not care. Nothing bothered you. You were only interested in you having fun and 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 the complete freedom that you don't often experience. I jumped forward all these years at the same thing we're out for in the hotels. Same kind of freedom. Same kind of uh spiritual luxury that you used to get at studio. And uh so those things were part of the continuum. And you know hotels are the hospitality business. So are uh, nightclubs. You know, uh, in nightclubs, uh, they're not supposed to sleep over, even though sometimes they do. <laughs> but in hotels, you know, it's the same thing, looking after your customer. You know, you're in some place kind of special. Uh, you can't define it. I don't know what it is. I can't write a book how you do it. But it just people know it when they feel it.
0: Yeah. And this is more of a, personal question I have, but I did notice this design detail across all of the Edition hotels. It's this feeling of purity and minimalism. And is there a reason why you gravitated towards this style? Where like, you know, usually hotels, especially during the pandemic, were considered sort of like the least, the last place you'd want to be because of the amount of traffic and volume that goes through. I mean, Edition specifically has this feeling of like open air and vastness and I'm just curious sort of how you develop that standard across through all of the addition properties.
1: You know what it is? Leonardo da Vinci said uh, that uh, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. And that's something that I truly embrace. You know, it's like a, a, a writer. You know, it's harder to write a very strong, compelling, concise short story than it is to write a long story that kind of rambles. And I think most hotels are into writing the long stories. Uh, You know, uh, they don't have a vision, they don't have a point of view, they just throw everything they possibly know into that project. And so it's not so much minimal as it is simple, very simple, reduced to its essence, reduced to its purity, you know, so that the the brain is not bombarded with so much information. I, I tell my daughter, the way she dresses. If you're a beautiful woman, you can dress very simple and elegantly because your beauty is what's gonna carry the day. You know, not all these ornaments and everything that you put on. I feel the same thing about uh, creating an environment. It has to be strong and it has to be simple, but it has to look like this is it. This looks so easy, but it's hard editing and refining, and getting rid of everything that's non-essential. And so that's my approach to life. Keep it simple.
0: Keep it simple. Or only stick with the essentials as well. Exactly. Um, I would love to uh, talk to you about public hotels. How does public hotels differ from all the other hotels that you've worked on thus far?
1: You know, uh, public is my most important idea that I, I ever had. Because making sophisticated luxurious things, uh, uh, exciting food and beverage, uh, and making that available and accessible to everybody and anybody that wants it is just an important idea. Democratizing luxury, because luxury has completely changed over the years. You know, we used to be fascinated by rich people. You know, a few hundred years ago, you know, the rich people were the ones that set the social zeitgeist, you know, we were all fascinated by what them talking about the Vanderbilts, the Rockefellers, and, and those kind of the, the, those, the uh, railroad robber barons, the shipping robber barons. Uh, that was our fascination. So now we jump forward to where we are now, a couple of hundred years later. And we're not only not fascinated by rich people anymore, we don't like them. You know, uh, they're the enemy. Half the people in this country are pissed off and unhappy about things and so we're in a new age everything changes and the notion of luxury has to change it's not about business classification or money or 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 how rich you are but it's about whether or not you get that freedom of time and that absolute freedom that you were able to experience in studio that you experience now that I want in the hotels. It's that same goal. So, because I feel it's so kind of an oxymoron. You know, we invent all this technology to presumably give us free time. But it doesn't. It takes time away from us. We're constantly on our technology. We're constantly over social media. We're more harried than we've ever been before. So if you can get to a hotel... And and you can get free time out of that, the ultimate luxury. And every transaction that happens does not happen with any friction or, or headaches. And and you can kind of relax and enjoy yourself. To me, that's the new luxury.
0: Yeah. Not
1: the gold buttons and epaulets and, and white gloves and all this other kind of thing. Uh, and so... Providing that something as sophisticated as anything else out there, something with the most exciting food and beverage and 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 drinking options, but also be treated really nicely, because the luxury is not about materiality; it's about spirituality. Uh, and I think uh, that's the future of the hotel business.
0: Yeah, and I think to your point too, luxury is no longer associated with exclusivity. And it kind of goes back to your point about just like the beauty of diversification, right? You want to, you want to, Absolutely. you've been creating spaces that are for everyone. And so that is interesting that public is a space, even with the name, that is really something that's accessible for everyone.
1: You know what it is? We were accused of elitism. When we opened up studio 54, but it really was anything but that we didn't care about anybody with money or, or any, 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 you know, big shots or politically powerful or corporate chieftain. We didn't care about that. We wanted to create a place where everybody could feel free and comfortable inside because when you're free and comfortable, that's when you have fun. And that's the special thing that everybody can't recreate. And the only way you get that is by having diversity. So we misunderstood that having that diversity is just not politically correct in the public domain. It's okay in your private home. You can invite and have a dinner party and have and seek somebody that's talkative next to somebody that's not so talkative. That's perfectly cool. But when you do that in the public domain, the powers that be get aggravated because all these big shots that usually have a priority in life in every other aspect didn't get that. And uh, they got a- aggravated at it and accused, uh, accused us of elitism. We didn't understand because elitism it has nothing to do with money or anything like that. It's just providing a place where everybody feels comfortable, where a woman could go there and not be bothered by an aggressive male, that somebody gay could go there and not be bothered, that everything could be happening and everyone, nobody cared. People only interested in what they were doing. Uh, And that's a rare thing to be able to accomplish in a public space.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, public hotels is breaking ground in so many ways, starting from the sensory guest experience that is so evident with architecture. Um, I really love the different transitional spaces you have, and I wanted to know your thoughts, like how involved were you in the creation of these sort of transitional spaces from that like really long entryway into the mirrored escalators into this like very sleek lobby, and then you get to the room and you just have floor to ceiling views of Manhattan
1: yeah, well, you know what uh, I think uh, there isn 't a detail there that i 'm not involved in, not a stitch on a piece of furniture,
0: not a grain
1: on a piece of concrete. Nothing, because I don't know which detail. But you know, when we do things uh, and we try and do it, that manifests the time and place uh, that gives a sense of you know where you're at, uh, which I think a hotel should do. You shouldn't have the same hotel uh, in New York as in Boston, California. No, it should be it should be different. But that doesn't mean when we do a hotel in London. We have to have statutes of Big Ben for <laughs> sale on our gift shop. Uh, or guys with black furry hats and red army jackets. Uh, we were doing a downtown hotel for cool downtown, sophisticated, young at heart people. So how did we do that? We took modest finishes, modest materials, and you like plywood and concrete and uh, rolled steel. Very Modest finishes, inexpensive, but, but use them in a very sophisticated way that felt very downtown to me. So we were avoiding, you know, all the latest trends, shabby chic, all this kind of thing. No, we, we did it to our own drumbeat.
0: And for decades, you've created brands that tap the nerve of contemporary culture and community. And I was just wondering, how do you manage a balance between aspiration and accessibility?
1: You know, it's, it's something new, uh, but it's not contradictory. Uh, people don't understand it because they're getting rid of the old idea. Anything new, you have to show customers. You have to lead them where they're going. Uh, we didn't need a car uh, until Henry Ford came out with that car. We didn't need a felt tip pen or paper clips or post-its. or, or Steve Jobs comes out with a personal computer until he leads people. So I think we have to learn that uh, luxury and the zeitgeist now has nothing to do with exclusivity. Uh, It has to do with making somebody feel good. And if you get it, if you get the sensibility of what's being done, then you're entitled to experience it, regardless of how old you are, what you do for a living, how rich you are, it doesn't matter. It's just in the sensibility. And that's funny. That's the way we've always done things. Because our customers ban the whole gambit of demographics, which we consider irrelevant.
0: I I think this is um, a really interesting idea that you keep revisiting, is that you want people to feel good. And I think that's what's interesting about hospitality, is that the product is the end result, is that you want people to feel good. It's not The product is not necessarily like a bed or a night stay. It's like the feeling that you get afterwards. Exactly.
1: That's the whole thing. I just read an article yesterday. So funny. I just read an article yesterday in a magazine uh, and here's what it said. It sounds too obvious to say, and yet the message is routinely forgotten. Want to sell more stuff? Make it easy and possible for the customer to buy it, you know? And the idea of making people feel good and making it easy for them to come to your hotel, it's just, it's the common denominator. I connect people today, not wealth, and capitalist things that were the criteria before. It's just different now. And you have to kind of accept and connect the dots and see where people are headed, which is what I love to do.
0: And um, what what do you personally define, I know you've kind of mentioned this, but what do you personally define as good hospitality? When you want to go somewhere, what do you identify like, yes, that is good hospitality?
1: The humanity of what you're being given. There has to be a humanity, a kindness, a thoughtfulness, uh, like what you said before about the people at public. You know, they're involved in something bigger. They're, they're really, you know, look, we all hope we marry people like this. You're with. They really try. These are people who really genuinely enjoy making you feel good. That's hospitality. And that's all that matters. You know, you can sense that. And uh, like I said, we all hope we marry people like that. Yeah. You know, but but that's, that's the secret. And it's so self-evident. And we forgot that. You know, when Cesar Ritz in, the Pari- in Paris with the Ritz Hotel put a mint or something like that on the pillow of his VIP guests, he meant it as a gracious gesture. He was happy you were staying with him. And and the guests felt that. Now, in hotels, coming right out of the manual, put the mint on, it's devoid of any emotion, any feeling, it means nothing.
0: It's like those personal human touches that really makes a difference. Exactly,
1: in every aspect of the hotel, in everything visual, in, in everything. A genuine caring and concern for looking after people. And by the way, making it accessible to people, it's not just uh, for rich people. It's available to anybody that wants it. And there's just something great and modern.
0: What is the most challenging part of what you do? Um, Having people
1: come into a finished product and sitting on the furniture. I, uh, (laughs) you know, what are the people doing in here? Um, So, I don't know. I love what I do. I... I I just love it. I love the whole process, the aspect of it. You know, I don't get attached to brick and mortar, only people. Uh, And, uh, you know, I'm always moving on to the next project and always hoping that the next project will exceed the expectations from the previous project.
0: And uh, that's
1: the part I like.
0: So you've had a storied career that has spent several decades with a lot of highs and a lot of lows. What projects have you been most proud of creating?
1: I can't choose one. It's like asking me to choose which one of my kids I love best.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: uh, I love them all. Uh, I guess if there was anything, I mean, my first project, first business was studio. I have an emotional connection. It's like giving birth to a baby. I have an emotional connection with all. And, uh, you know, I, I am, you know, pleased, you know, that I've had a long career. You know, I'm not a flash in the pan.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, You know, I've done it over a long period of time. I'm still doing it and I do enjoy that. Uh, And uh, that's very gratifying to me. As I say, I love what I do.
0: That's the key to sustain that energy is like that pure passion.
1: The key to life.
0: I love that. That's great. And, you know, one thing that's really fascinating about you as well is you have this eye for forecasting cultural trends. How do you get your best ideas and how do you know when to act upon creating these new projects or launching really risky, risky new things?
1: Well, I, I have a what could be a, a simple explanation for that I try and explain it to my kids. You know, uh, I think uh, I'm an outside the box person mm-hmm. uh, and I think most everybody is inside the box. So the people inside the box always get stimulated by people outside the box because they're giving them and presenting to them things that are unexpected and out of the normal course of living. Uh, and so I'm just kind of gifted that I can see things and connect the dots You know, when something is going on in the street. That's a good example. I remember many, many, many years ago, uh, when there was this great performer, Prince. So yeah, have Prince. Uh, and then also coming out of Minneapolis, uh, we appointed two Supreme Court justices to the United States Supreme Court that came out of Minneapolis. So my first thing was, what's going to Minneapolis? I I should go. There's something happening there. All these people are coming out of there.
0: There's this energy. <laughs>
1: something. So... It's just connecting the dots and seeing things. You know, when I see half the country unhappy about things and the way things are, uh, you know, splintered and and, and all, I'm curious as to why that is. There's a reason for that. Uh, There is a collective unconsciousness. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is a reason that skirt hems go up. In uh, Europe would go up in America and go up in Asia. I mean, there's a reason for it to go up and down. So I'm curious as to what's what's making that happen.
0: Yeah, what are these like cultural forces or what's shaping these changes?
1: They're on continuum and there is a lineage, a line that goes where you could connect the dots. And so the trick is you see where something is and you see where it's going And then you have to feel where it's really going to go now. I'm going to do something, you know, for that, where I anticipate it's going. And I'm going to help people there to to, before they know they even want it.
0: Wow. And so what have you been forecasting in this past year?
1: Uh, You know, I think uh, let's hope it lasts longer. But I think there's going to be more of a humanity amongst people. Uh, You haven't seen them for so long. Everyone's been isolated. Everyone's happy to be interacting with their fellow man again uh, and fellow woman. So I see maybe more of a, more humanity going on between people. Hopefully it will last. I don't know, but I hope it does. But I see what's going on. I see public as the future of the hotel business. And I see only two different kinds of hotels. One a smaller hotel, 70, 80, 90 rooms, uh, you know, for the 1% of the really rich people. That is very, very, very expensive and gives them the kind of hotel and hotel room that they are used to staying in when they're living at home. And that's only for the 1%. And then hotels like public that are sophisticated and attract the vertical market, people from all different walks of life, and the only two kind of hotels. And that will be left instead of all these brands that really don't mean anything to anybody. They don't set up a level of expectations. And that's where I see, you know, the future going.
0: And on a more personal note, I wanted to learn what are some big picture lessons that you carry with you through your life?
1: Uh, First of all, don't be afraid of failure because if you're afraid of failure, you get a paralysis. You know, look, if I was ever involved in a failure, I would be devastated, but I don't leave a stone unturned to try and get to what I'm trying to accomplish, but I think, uh, don't be afraid of failure. Failure is part of the process of achieving success. Uh, if you don't risk failure, you can't have success. And, uh, uh, number two, be relentless in the pursuit of your idea. And number three, don't listen to any geniuses that tell you it can't be done. Uh, When you hear that, that's all the more reason to do it.
0: More fuel to the fire. Exactly. Well, Ian, this was such a wonderful conversation, and I'm so happy to be able to speak with you today. Thank you so much for for your time. That's so nice.
1: I hope I see you. I hope I get to see you in public.
0: Yes, absolutely. I hope I get an opportunity to see you there, too. And when you're there, come and say hello. Thank you so much to Ian for joining me today on the show. To find his work, you can find him on Instagram at Ian Shaker or Public Hotels. The art of travel is created by Olivia Lopez, produced by Bon Weekender, edited by Jason Stewart, and music composed by Slow Shiver. We'll see you on Tuesday.